The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to The Chris and Joe Show on Big Blue View Radio, your go-to source for New York Giants analysis. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet. Airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. Welcome back to the Chris and Joe Show, presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum. As we set on the Quick Take Show, we are back here, breaking down the film for you, filling you in on everything you needed to know from the Giants' Week 1 loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers, a loss that came by the score of 26-16, to a game that we discussed immediately after, showed some positive signs, showed some glaring weaknesses, We had the time to actually go and watch and pinpoint the things that were more specific to the general points. We're going to cover all of that on today's show. Getting right into the offensive side of the football, the one thing that was immediately talked about by pretty much anybody who watched this football game, separate from those who cover the Giants and the Steelers or are fans of the Giants and the Steelers, Aside from both of those ends, everybody was mentioning how bad the Giants' run blocking was in this performance. And we even lofted out the thought, and also the broadcast team, as well as tons of people on Twitter, lofted out the thought of the Steelers were making Daniel Jones go out and beat them. Well, after taking the time to watch things and figure things out, Chris, it seems a little bit deeper than that. It's actually a lot deeper than that. The goal was not take away Saquon Barkley, make Daniel Jones beat him. It was instead, we're going to attack the hell out of your offensive line. We're going to bully them. We're going to cause them to make mistakes. And because they can't effectively not only defend our starting defensive line, but also all the pressure we are adding with more guys in the box, we are going to disrupt your offensive timing completely. And that is exactly what we saw on Monday night. Yeah, that, like you said, that is exactly what happened. The Steelers were, they weren't just trying to take Barkley away. They were attacking the gaps, attacking this basically rebuilt on the fly offensive line. And for most of the game, it was having success. You know, we saw it most apparent in the running game or the complete lack of a running game. But it was affecting the Giants all game long. It was really impacting the way they were able to run their offense. You know, 
I think we saw at times they wanted to run a more explosive vertical offense, but with just the caliber of the defensive front they were going against and the way they were attacking the offensive linemen, anything more than a quick pass, uh, you know, one or two reads, one three, one or a three-step drop, you know, catch and throw out of the shotgun, that sort of thing. That just wasn't there. That was going to get blown up and blown up quickly by the Steelers. And you noticed in the game that the game plan for Jason Garrett was get the ball out quickly. And once that starts to work and we score some points with it, we're going to try and stretch them. We're going to use some play action, some deep throws. And they were able to score on one Darius Slayton touchdown, but on a lot of other attempts with these deep passing plays, it didn't end very well. It led to hurries, pressures, hits. In some cases, there were penalties because the offensive line was a bit timid to block these pass rushers. So this is something that we should be expecting every single week now. We should expect that every defensive coordinator saw extremely clearly on tape that if you overwhelm this offensive line, especially the right side of the offensive line with Cam Fleming, you can create some serious havoc and prevent this offense from working in the tempo and chemistry that they're seeking out to, to effectively get. It doesn't. It didn't really take much. It didn't take, take anything too complicated to confuse the Giants' offensive line. That then leads into the run-blocking issues. That is the biggest issue right now for this Giants team. They only ran for 29 yards. Saquon, 6 yards on 15 carries. That is a huge problem for this team. And you look at the tape, you see Nick Gates getting thrown around, being pushed out of the way. Cam Fleming looked very flat-footed, not very effective with blocking TJ Watt, which still is a very tough task for any offensive lineman. And on top of that, I almost wonder if either Kevin Zeitler's not playing up to his his full potential, what he's capable of doing, if he's playing below that, or if maybe all this trouble along the offensive line caused him to also have a poor performance with everything going on. Yeah, it might even be a little bit of both. You know, we know Zeitler struggled with injuries last year, and he's not getting any younger. But also having to cover for a, for all intents and purposes, rookie center and a career backup right tackle, you know, that that had to be stretching his comp, his concentration, you know, really stretching out his field of view and forcing him to try to keep track of things maybe he might not normally have to worry about. It was probably a little bit of both and maybe as the night went on, things just kind of snowballed for him. You know, with Nick Gates, I thought he moved pretty well. You can tell he is a former tackle, but I also think against interior defensive linemen, you know, he let his pads get high. He It looked quite fairly often like he was just losing leverage, and that led to, like you said, him getting thrown around. You know, there were a few times where he just was almost getting ragdolled backwards. So I would hope the Giants would work with him with keeping his pads down, keeping his hips down, so he can absorb that contact more easily. And that's a tough thing to do, to snap the ball and get ready to meet a 320-pound defensive lineman immediately. And some of the things I'm referencing with Kevin Zeitler, there's one play that sticks in my head. I watched him slowly... Pull, not at full speed. It was almost a half speed pull 
to go pick up Bud Dupree, who came flying in to tackle Saquon Barkley for a loss. So that was the the big play to me that made me think Zeitler's not having a good game. That was early on in the game. So Zeitler struggled. What, one thought I got from the issues with the run blocking, Chris, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. The Giants ran a lot of heavy tight end looks. And the idea with this sometimes is to, and we talked about this actually in the, in the, in the pregame show, is to spread out good pass rushers and good ends by bringing in more tight ends, extend the line of scrimmage, don't allow them to close down quick. The only issue that I started to notice with this is when you put in all these tight ends, you then allow the defense to stack the box. And if you don't have very, very good blocking tight ends and also an efficient offensive line, this can lead to some issues. And we saw that on a lot of these heavy tight end looks, while they were able to move the ball through the air with some of these formations, they were very ineffective with running the ball. There were a lot of eight-man boxes, and you never want to be running the ball on any side, anywhere behind that line with an eight-man box. It almost makes me wonder if Daniel Jones has the option to check out of a play like that to a more favorable passing option with eight men in the box. And if he does have that option, Jason Garrett needs to encourage him to do so because running into a what is essentially a brick wall with eight men near the line of scrimmage, you are not going to get many yards. No, not at all. And with Saquon Barkley in particular, that's just not a thing you want to do. He is at his best when he has room to maneuver, room to use that incredible athleticism of his and find daylight and accelerate. You know, he has you know, as great a running back as he is when he's healthy. He has been historically not good against neutral boxes, uh, seven-man boxes, and downright bad against eight-man boxes. Yeah, he's really at his best when you can spread the defense out, get him matchups against six-man boxes. Then that gives him the room to work, and he can just explode and gash defenses. You know, this is something, you know, going back, we talked with talked about with Dan Pizzuta. Uh, Dan and I talked about it quite a bit when he was co-hosting the show with me, and he was with Big Blue View, is that teams really should go heavy to throw and go light to run just because that invites the defense to, like you say, when you're going heavy, they bring in heavy personnel, they stack the box. So that makes it easier to slip a tight end out behind the linebackers. Like We saw that with uh, Levine Toilolo, and I believe Caden Smith caught a pass in that, that kind of situation as well. Yeah, it's it's easier to get those height weight speed mismatches with a tight end on a linebacker when defenses are going heavy and expecting the run. Conversely, if you go with a three or four receiver set, defenses are going to respond by going with nickel and dime personnel. And then you can spread them out, get those light boxes and lighter defensive sets, which is just easier for your blockers and gives your running back more room to work. As the Giants go back to the drawing board, I really hope they take those things into consideration. I completely agree. I'm, I'm really hoping that Jason Garrett decides after a, a terrible performance, literally the possible worst possible rushing performance you can have in a debut, that he says, all right, th- this heavy look does not work with our, our running back and our offensive line. We need to come out in a little bit more gun. We need to come out more spread out. 
allow the defense to spread itself out and run the ball against a lighter box. If they still want to pack guys around the line of scrimmage and in the box with a very spread out offensive look, allow them to do so because then you can dink and dunk your way all the way to the end zone if they're going to keep doing that to sell out against Saquon Barkley. Don't make things easier for them. Don't make things easy for them to fill every possible rushing lane by putting as many possible guys except for three players uh, in and around the line of scrimmage. The one thing I will say, Chris, though, is despite weaknesses on the right side and issues with Kevin Zeitler, Nick Gates, Cam Fleming, Andrew Thomas looked pretty good. He wasn't perfect. He was not completely polished and mistake-free, but I watched a lot of reps where I had to rewind it and watch it a couple more times and say, wow, he's doing a very good job. His technique looks pretty good, and he did a good job of not only staying with Bud Dupree, but using correct technique to ride him out and push him away from wherever Daniel Jones was. Yeah, we saw Dupree kind of wreaking havoc early in the game, but I think those mostly came when the Giants were trying to run a more vertical offense. Uh, They're having Jones take deeper drops, hold the ball a little bit longer, scan the field a bit more. And I think that allowed the athletic mismatch between Dupree and Thomas kind of, it kind of exposed Thomas a little bit. And I think those were the reps where Dupree beat him. But as as long as the Giants were going with that quick game, one or two read passes and getting the ball out quick, Thomas handled himself pretty well. Yeah, he handled himself really well. And like I said already, there were a ton of plays that showed a lot of promise for Andrew Thomas going into the season. It's not like he was facing off against a a lackluster pass rusher. Bud Dupree is very good. He's a veteran. He's been around for a while, was very productive last year. And he, he on a number of plays, was able to keep him in check. I, I think it's pretty safe to say that this is a glimpse into what could be the future for this Giants offensive line. Now they just need to get everybody to fill in alongside him, figure out those other spots, because right now I would argue most of them are still question marks. Is Zeitler going to play the same next week? Is Will Hernandez a little bit less of a question mark? Can Nick Gates figure out the center position? Or also, do they have to decide to put Matt Paired out there at right tackle? Is there a certain point in time where you say, Cam's not getting the job done, we have to go out there and try and put Matt Paired in? Yeah, I think that's something we're definitely going to have to be watching for. Cam Fleming is an experienced player, but he's been a career backup for a reason. Maybe if things do start to kind of snowball out there on the right and the season just does not go as the way the Giants want it to, maybe they could decide to make that change and get get him in the experience he needs and see what they have in him. The final takeaway I had, Chris, when I was watching the game the second time, it was very clear the TJ Watt interception was the turning point in this game. And if you disagree with me, I encourage you to go back and watch it because you'll see where I'm coming from. The Giants had just scored on the huge passing play to Darius Slayton. It was it was 10 to 3. They stopped the Pittsburgh Steelers, got the ball back, a decent punt return. I believe they were around the 40-yard line. That interception then flipped the field, gave the Steelers perfect field position to then go down and score. And from there, they, they pretty much regained all of their momentum. And, and like we said on the Quick Take Show, I am not going to give Daniel Jones a huge uh, a huge amount of 
criticism for that interception because there is very little you can do in that situation. T.J. Watt rushed upfield, immediately saw where he was looking, and was able to drop back, move that quickly, and make a play on the football. Most defensive linemen, if they make that that read, they're just only able to bat it down. But T.J. Watt is such a good playmaker, he was able to make that interception. But uh, if it wasn't for that play, who knows if the Giants would have been much closer towards the end of this football game. Yeah, yeah. Playmakers are going to make plays. There, there's really not much you can do about it. If the roles were reversed or if the Giants had TJ Watt, we would be basically over the moon with that play. I'm not sure we would stop talking him up. Sometimes the other guy just makes a play. There's not a thing you can do about it. They're great players over there too. They're getting paid too. All you can do is just tip your cap. We've got a couple defensive takeaways from this game and also a special teams one. Surprise, surprise from the special teams podcast of the New York Giants. We're going to get to those after we take a really short commercial break. Chris, we were talking before the show of how the Giants defensive scheme drastically changed at a certain point in the game. We saw a very effective approach by Patrick Graham, and we're going to talk about how this defense is going to look in 2020 very shortly. But one thing that you noticed, Chris, is the Giants were able to slow down this Steelers offense with a lot of zone, a lot of shifting guys, but they switched to man after the Steelers had adapted their approach. But at that point, it was really too late for the Giants to recover because the Steelers were then taking advantage of some of these mismatches they had in man. Yeah, I noticed like it it became really apparent during the Steelers' two-minute drill. Well, actually, it was about a minute 30 drill for their touchdown at the end of the first half. Once they stopped trying to run that slow, clunky, vertical offense that just didn't work in the first half, the Giants switched from their zone disguises, uh, the coverages that were really giving the Steelers fits, trying to figure out what was going to be happening with the Giants defense. The Giants switched to a lot more man coverage, just straight up man coverage. And the Steelers really pretty quickly identified those tendencies that when they would go for a quick passing game, up-tempo, maybe not necessarily no huddle, but up-tempo, the Giants responded by going with a lot more man coverage. And then the Steelers took advantage of that by running a lot more man coverage beaters out of their up-tempo offense. They were able to really kind of pin the Giants down in those situations and get the matchups and looks that they wanted. So I think that's something we're going to have to pay attention to going forward because it's not surprising that Ben Roethlisberger and Mike Tomlin noticed that and were able to take advantage. But now it's on tape and other offensive coaches, offensive coordinators, other quarterbacks are going to be able to watch that as well. And that was the shift in the game from the Giants defense outmaneuvering Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers offense to the Steelers offense catching the Giants on their heels for a couple drives. I don't consider it to be a a total domination from the Steelers offense, but after that period when they made this adjustment and the back and forth between the two teams was when the Steelers were able to get into a little bit more of a rhythm. In general, though, Chris, I have to say I'm very excited about the future of this New York Giants defense schematically. 
What they were able to do yesterday looks very exciting to me. There were a lot of interesting looks that they presented, a lot of bringing six to eight guys near the line of scrimmage or on the line of scrimmage, dropping various players, sending other players to go after the offensive line. That kind of confusion is what led to a pretty stale offensive output for the Steelers to begin the game. And I think that this new approach works well with the Giants' strengths. You've got a lot of good athletes. You've got a lot of guys that can move well in space, space like Lorenzo Carter, O'Shane Zimenez, Kyler Fackrell. They can rush the passer. They can drop if you need them to. Blake Martinez is a, is a pretty good blitzer. And you have these big, meaty interior defensive linemen. If you only want two defensive tackles on the field, they can go after the quarterback and still create some pressures. And we saw a lot of that. We saw a lot of dropping in a zone, a lot of defensive backs on the field, closing out passing windows, and three to four defensive linemen and pass rushers creating a lot of issues for a relatively immobile Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, and I I really liked how Patrick Graham disguised his pressure packages. Uh, we saw a few times the Giants would go with a, a radar defense where you didn't have anybody with their hand on the ground. You had basically all 11 defenders just kind of milling around the line of scrimmage. That made it really hard, at least until the Steelers were able to figure out some of the Giants' tendencies. That made it really hard for Roethlisberger and the Steelers' offensive line to know who was coming, who was dropping, where the pressure was going to come from. And that really had them on their heels. And even though the Giants didn't get too many hits on the Steelers, they were able to really affect their offense that way. The other thing, too, with this with this new defensive approach was the willingness to rotate a lot of different guys in. And that advantage you can gain from that is an offensive line gets used to certain players and what they're doing throughout the game. If you're facing different looks in different guys, you have to then get used to different players. So that's just another added fold to this rotation, the usage of various packages and personnel groupings for the Giants defense. A guy that I think benefits the most from this new look scheme is Leonard Williams. We give him, Leonard Williams, a ton of flack on this show. We give him a very hard time for his underperformance since the Giants traded for him. But last night, he looked like a completely different player. He had a sack. He had two tackles for loss. He made a lot of plays and had a lot of pressures on Ben Roethlisberger. And when I say pressures, he was within striking distance of making a, a big play if Ben Roethlisberger held onto the ball for a second or two longer. Williams looked completely different, and I would honestly credit that to a better usage with the guys around him and also with him uh, as well. Yeah, you know, there, there were a few times that I've, we both noticed him as, as a nose tackle, which gives him a lot of, uh, really lets him take advantage of his athleticism against a center, which, you know, as we said with Nick Gates, it's tough to snap the ball and immediately get your hands up to block a nose tackle. It's double tough when you've got one who is as, at, who is as athletic as Leonard Williams. Uh, there was one play, it wound up going the Steelers' way, but it was a third and long. The Giants had one of had one of these defenses where they showed a lot of guys on the line of scrimmage. I believe they were showing about a five-man pressure. But Williams was the only defensive lineman. You know, he was the only guy with his hand in the dirt or rubber his hand on the rubber beads. 
and he was at nose tackle. The Giants actually wound up dropping eight guys into coverage and only rushing three, but each one of those guys got a one-on-one matchup, and Williams was able to push Marquise Pouncey back into the backfield, which is no easy task. Now, that play, Ben wound up completing a long pass for a first down to Eric Ebron, who had uh, Jabril Peppers in coverage, but it just shows how he is able to generate those one-on-one matchups and get those athletic mismatches to take advantage of them. That play against Marquise Pouncey was the, the epitome of his performance, pushing guys back, pushing back guards and centers. That is where he was feasting. He was able to dominate interior offensive linemen yesterday for the Steelers on a lot of plays. And it's not like he was getting a little bit of push and was causing some issues. He was getting in the backfield. He was disengaging. He was getting clean looks at running backs and and also hitting Ben Roethlisberger. So that transformation in one game with a new defensive coordinator is quite promising to me. I'm going to be paying close attention to Leonard Williams because if he steps up the second game, I think the outlook for him for this season could be very, very good. And we might be regretting talking very negatively about him during this offseason. I am hoping that Leonard Williams proves us wrong because even if I was wrong, it'll at least make me feel good that Leonard Williams panned out and worked out for this Giants defense. You know, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with changing your opinion as the information you have changes. You know, last year, the Giants, they spent a lot to acquire Leonard Williams, and he did not live up to what they spent to get him if he can live up to that this year if he can live up to that third round plus in draft capital and he can live up to that 16 million dollar franchise tag that will be fantastic it'll be expensive going forward but if they can get value for that that will be fantastic but like you said we are going to have to watch pay attention see how he is used and also pay attention to see how the teams the Giants play adapt to this scheme now that there is some tape available. Final thought that I had from watching this defense yesterday was how this clear new approach is to pressure quarterbacks, not wrap them up for sacks, but lead them to make bad decisions or dump offs for short gains, throw the ball away instead of getting sack production and rely on zone coverage to protect the back end of your defense. It made me notice that if the Giants had one elite or very good pass rusher or linebacker that can do both things, this defense could go from looking pretty good last night and improved to being very, very good. And you're not going to get a guy like that until next season with uh, the offseason free agency or the draft. I have to say right now, as early as it is, if the Giants can get a guy like Micah Parsons, who is a former edge rusher turned outside linebacker, I think that they could take a huge step forward into becoming a very good defense. This is just a glimpse at how this team is going to look. And if you add someone like Micah Parsons in the draft next year, it could be lights out for this Giants defense. Yeah, I would say maybe it doesn't have to be Micah Parsons, but they are an ace pass rusher. Chase Young, Miles Garrett, you know, one of these guys that defenses have, or sorry, one of these guys that offenses have to game plan around almost like an ace pitcher or 
a good closer in baseball where you know they just have the stuff to shut offenses down and I think that would be key for the Giants getting off the field at the end of halves getting off the field on third down and it would really open up things for pretty much everybody else on the Giants defense. And if you want to go with someone who is more of a pure pass rusher, Gregory Rousseau will also probably be available within the the Giants selection range if things don't turn out very well this season, if you don't want to go with more of a pure linebacker like Micah Parsons. Chris, the last thing that that we have from today's show or for today's show from this previous game is Jabril Peppers being a very, very good punt returner. And we always have to bring up special teams because it had a huge impact on this game and it has a huge impact on every single game. The muffed punt from Deonta Johnson put the Giants in really good position. So you can see how important having good special teams is and a good punt returner is for your your team and, and for the increased probability of winning football games. If you watch Jabril Peppers... That guy was electric on on punt returns. He was able to pick up big chunk yardage, and he needs to be the guy back there every single game. I want to see more of that, and I can guarantee he scores a touchdown by the end of this year if that is just a a sliver of what we're getting this year if he he returns a lot of punts. Yeah, you know, we talk about it. We we mentioned the term hidden yardage quite a bit, and that describes it perfectly. Jabril Peppers, he, he only returned three punts last night. But he picked up almost 40 yards. He had 39 yards on those punt returns. He added on just one return 20 yards to the offense. He got them 20 yards closer to the end zone than they would have been if he just fair caught it. And then the flip side of that was Deontay Johnson, who, especially in the beginning of the game, he looked pretty shaky. And that one muff punt, that was potentially huge. The Giants weren't able to fully capitalize, but they were able to get on the board first. They were able to get that field goal, get the early lead, which they hung on to for most of the first half. What happened? What ha- what does the game look like if their first drive just ends and Johnson hangs on to that ball and the Steelers are able to go down the field and they're the ones who score first? Hopefully Peppers does have more of a special teams impact this season, and that wasn't just the special teams uh, coordinator, Thomas McGahee, teasing us with getting him for only one game as the punt returner. That is it for this breakdown show of the Giants' loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Giants have up next the Chicago Bears. We will be previewing that game for you shortly, so make sure you tune in for that episode also follow us on social media at joe de leon at raptor mkii and also at big blue view as well as heading to bigblueview.com 